0: Welcome to Love Your Library, Hampshire Library's podcast. I'm Isaac Fafashi, here with my co-host Hattie Dulac. Hi Hattie.
1: Hi Isaac, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, thank you. Yeah, just getting on with the week as always. What are you you reading at the moment?
1: Oh, well, actually I'm reading a bit of a fan favourite at the moment, so um, a bit late to the party, but I've just picked up Susanna Clark's Piranesi, so I'm getting stuck in with that. How about you?
0: Oh, I love that one, yeah. I'm reading, uh, I'm rereading The Lovely Bones, actually. I read it um, I think probably for the first time when I was about like 16. Really, really loved it. But yeah, visiting it again now and rem- remembering how much I loved that book when I was younger and yeah, really enjoying it.
1: Oh, I love going back to an old favourite. That is like, it's, it's, a, it's such a comforting feeling, isn't it? It's like a little slice of nostalgia because you remember where you were when you first read it and stuff like that. And whether you're revisiting old favourites or sticking with your current to read lists, we recommend BorrowBox as one of the providers that you can do this with. This is our supporter for the podcast and it is a really amazing library app that lets you download ebooks and audiobooks straight to your phone or tablet. You can sign up with your library membership number and pin and just get reading. So it's it's a great service to have.
0: Now, this episode of the podcast is a bit special. We're looking at some great children's books today to help our younger readers find their next great read.
1: And then later, we'll be joined by Liz, our children's book specialist. But first, we'll hear from when 15-year-old Ava caught up with Hannah Gold, the author of The Last Bear.
0: Now, um, some of you might remember Ava from our last Kids' Corner episode, uh, where she interviewed Ali Sparks. And uh, if you fancy giving that one a listen to, you can find the link in the show notes below.
1: So without further ado, let's hear from Ava's interview with Hannah Gold.
2: Hello, Hannah, and welcome to the Love Your Libraries podcast. We are very happy to have you joining us.
3: Thank you for allowing me to be here and talking to you, Ava. (laughs) Now,
2: your debut novel is The Last Bear, and it's a story of an unlikely friendship between a girl called April and a polar bear. The book softly touches on the plight that polar bears along with many animals are facing due to climate change. So can you tell us is climate change an issue which is close to your heart and was it important to subtly weave that theme into the storyline?
3: Oh that's a really good first question isn't it? Mm-hmm. You're going straight in there with the, with the climate <laughs> yeah. change one. Um, firstly when I wrote the book I never intended for climate change to be actually part of the story when I wrote the book I I just wanted to write about a child and animal friendship and I was thinking about what animal to choose and then this idea of the polar bear came to me and I thought this is a really incredible animal I wasn't even a polar bear fan before then but now my house is full of polar bears yeah (laughs) so I was sitting down and researching where to tell the story and at that point I really didn't know a lot about polar bears like that the fact that they live in the Arctic rather than the Antarctic. So I was looking at the map, literally, and then this tiny island called Bear Island jumped out at me, not, li- not literally, not literally, <laughs> yet from the map. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the perfect place to set my book. And I couldn't believe an island called Bear Island actually existed. And when I sat down to research the island and discovered that it was called Bear Island because of the polar bears that used to live there, it became apparent that that was the perfect starting point for my story. And then leading on to the climate change point, having then researched a lot more about polar bears, and then I discovered that the polar bears could no longer really reach this island because of the receding ice caps, it was apparent that I couldn't write literally about polar bears without talking about the impact that human actions are having on the planet, so the whole intention was never deliberate to write about climate change, although it is something which I'm really passionate about. It was a byproduct of choosing to write about the polar bears.
2: Oh, OK, interesting. So talking of the island, it's set on, it's quite isolated um, in the Arctic Circle and your descriptions are really
3: vivid. So what research is required to bring the setting to life? Another good question. <laughs> For me, it was a combination of like using Google Maps. So anybody listening to this, you could go onto Google Maps and actually visit Bear Island yourself, which oh, I amazing. find really interesting. There's videos about Bear Island as well. I used some websites and lots of research that I read about it. But most of all, I kind of use my imagination. My version of Bear Island isn't exactly like the real Bear Island. It has to change points for the, to fit the story and... So I kind of transplanted my imagination onto the real Bear Island, but used the bare bones of it, excuse the pun, as the <laughs> setting for my story. Oh, okay. But we did, we did go to Norway. We didn't go, if anyone ever asked me, have I been to Bear Island? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah we, we didn't go to Bear Island because it is so remote, like you said. Yeah. But we did go to the north of Norway during the summer, and that was the closest I could get to actually going to the real Bear Island. Oh, okay,
2: yeah. So, in terms of characters, Open and her dad seem to have quite a distant relationship. So, can you tell us what was the significance of that for the story?
3: Well, there's two reasons. One is if they had really got on and had the best of friendships, they wouldn't have been much of a story. Yeah. So, just in terms of writing dynamics, when you're setting out to write a book, it's really good to create some kind of conflict so the distance between April and her dad even though she wanted to go to the island and she kind of dreamt that they would spend all this time together the reality is when they get there he's still really distant and consumed in his work it then creates the space and the story for April to be lonely and it creates the space and the story for her to go off and have an adventure and find this wild animal so one aspect is just purely from a from a dynamic point of view in terms of how you tell a story and the other I think because when I grew up my own dad was quite distant Ava and I okay. remember being someone who just wanted more of his attention he was going to work and I kind of used to think well I'd, I'd love a bit more attention too so I really related to that that child that's wanting some attention but not necessarily getting it
2: yeah okay so as for, as for the relationship between April and Bear, was this based on a real experience? For instance, did you have a particular pet that you had a special problem with growing up?
3: Yeah, I have, I have never met a polar bear, so it's not based <laughs> on me being a polar bear. And if I did meet a polar bear, I wouldn't feed them peanut butter. Yeah. But I do really love animals, and that, for me, was the starting point of the book. And I think that's why a lot of people who like the book, that's why they enjoy the book, because they can really relate to the bonds that they've got. Have you got a pet, over? I've got multiple pets, actually. What, what pets have you oh, a got? A zoo. So I've got two cats. Yeah. I've got one dog.
2: His name's Edwards. I've got yeah. two pets called wow. Blue and Clover. And then my sister has a
3: few fish as well. Oh, so do you like animals as well? Yeah, I love them. Yeah. My so mum you know, and like- sister in particular yeah so you know like you have that have you got a special one out of all of them you just got some kind of oh yeah one? yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. so that's what I kind of tried to capture that relationship that we have which is so unique between humans and animals but I think particularly younger children yeah um, so that that relationship was just built on kind of almost every pet I've had just that really special sort of unspoken bonds that you have which is quite magical and I think when you read it you as the reader you can put your own pet into that and go that's really like my relationship with my pet or whatever it is so it's just kind of capturing that that love. Yeah Yeah. Yeah, definitely
2: Um, so as for the illustrations they are all incredible Um, including a useful map at the beginning so I was just wondering, was this something that you always wanted to include when writing the book? Yeah. Do you
3: like books of maps? Because I love books of maps. I think yeah. they're really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They make a book. <laughs> Every author dreams of having a map in a book. So when the mm-hmm. illustrate, the publisher chooses the illustrator, I don't have a say in it really, um, and then. The art designer at the publisher also decides what pictures are going to be in the book. So they determined quite early on that they would have a map in there and then Mm -hmm. they give the brief to the illustrator to go away and, you know, draw it up. And what I actually did, because it's based on the real Bear Island, it's almost like it's traced over the real Bear Island, but Levi the illustrator he's just put the different points that I've like bears mountain um the, the cabins he's just put on it the, the, the special elements of the story
2: oh okay so did you have much influence over the uh, the illustrations with was it Levi
3: yeah Levi he's like this um Uh, it's funny because the publisher always calls him he's never just Levi Pinfold he's award-winning Levi Pinfold (laughs) yeah (laughs) so he did the 20th anniversary editions for Harry Potter as well so he's kind of like I was a real newbie and he's been around a lot longer in terms of the scene so the publisher says well we want illustrations and then they try to find the right illustrator and they thought he would be really good because he writes he draws in quite an emotional way and because mm. I write in quite an emotional way they thought would be a great pairing and they were right yeah and then no, no, no. like I said the art director they decide which illustrations go in the book they give that to the illustrator he comes back and he creates some rough drafts although Levi's rough drafts are really really strong And I just make a few comments and say, yes, he's forgotten to put his glasses on or the waves need to be a bit choppier. And then it goes back to Levi. He does the final versions and then I approve them. But he actually lives in Australia. So he's a. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. The other side of the glass. (laughs) Oh, this is kind of going on. Like that's the way he lives in Australia. He's British, but he lives in Australia. So kind of trans trans right it's the other side of the world isn't it that relationship but yeah. that's, that's quite but I've never met him either Ava. I've never met him in real life so yeah.
2: oh, okay oh brilliant so is this book similar to books you like to read or you've read as a child
3: yeah when I was a child like the books I always loved had animals in them that's a big thing mm-hmm. for me um so I really liked something like the animals of farthing wood have you read that one
2: no, I haven't, but
3: I've definitely had a that. It. Yeah, it's all about these animals. I really like the, uh, it's an old book now, but it's called, because I'm older, it's called <laughs> Mrs. Grisly and the Rats of Nim. I really like that one. Obviously, books like Black Beauty, uh, mm-hmm. like Narnia because of Aslan. So definitely books which had like these animal protagonists. Yeah. Um, and then as I was a bit older, um, one of my big influences is um, an author called Michael Morpurgo. Mm-hmm. yeah and he, he, he commented on the book didn't he, he did yeah that's amazing <laughs> I know. he was like my author hero and when I yeah. signed with my publisher I couldn't believe we actually had the same publisher and I was like oh my god Michael McCurgo and mm-hmm. then they sent my book to him before it was published so he could give me an endorsement and he came back and he said some really lovely things about the book and I was like oh my god I can't believe it and then luckily enough fast forward a few months I ended up meeting him at a festival oh wow yeah and then I interviewed him on stage about his last book and he is just like the kindest uh just the kindest person like a really amazing in terms of what he does for nature as well like I feel really inspired by him as an author and as a person
2: no that's amazing so did
3: do you think he influenced some of your writing or the author that you are today Yeah, I think so. Because I think as an author, I don't want to just be an author. I want to be someone that's kind of has integrity and values. And I think what he stands for is someone that is really trying to support the relationship between children and nature and the healing power of nature. He runs a charity where he takes city kids to the farm and he sees the impact that that has on them. Yeah. And I think... One of the, the sort of themes that I like to put in my books going forward would be like, yeah, spending time in nature is really is really powerful and it can help us and we can help nature back. And if we have that relationship, we're much more likely then to look after the planet. So it's a kind of about like what author do I want to be, what kind of what person do I want to be as well?
2: Yeah. Okay, that's brilliant. Um, did you know where the story was going from the start, or did the inspiration come to you as you were writing?
3: Yeah, you meet, I bet you interview some author, and I know the whole story up front, don't they? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not like that, you know. I think that in school they teach you to plan, don't they? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, and that sometimes it's a really good idea for structuring your writing. And I think it is really good to have a plan, but I don't ever think we should be a slave to the plan. If yeah. your plan is quite loose, it still gives you a rough idea rather than having to plan everything. So one of the things about writing is just working out, you know, what kind of writer are you? And you might be really different to somebody who plans a lot. So for me, I had a rough idea. I knew I wanted the girl and her dad to go to the island. I knew that when she was there, she was going to meet a polar bear. And I always knew what the end scene would be. Mm -hmm. But the rest of it was almost like a journey of discovery as I wrote it. Oh, okay. So, what do libraries mean to you? Oh, so much. (laughs) I know it sounds really corny, but when I was young, me and my mum would go to the library and we would go and borrow so many books and it was a real treat and I would max out my library card and I could only have six books there and I would come home and I'd stack the books in an order of the ones I'd wanted to read first with the one at the top going down to the bottom they were just, I love books and I love reading. And I think these days libraries are so much, they've got even more going on. And I think yeah. they're such an asset to the community. And in terms of story time and reading time for children, they're just, they're just so important. And I think for someone who is maybe shy or sensitive or just loves reading and hasn't yeah. got access to or the ability to buy many books, having access to free books and all that they offer is, is, is just incredibly important.
2: Yeah. Um, so I'm sure we're all very keen to know, how did you become a writer? Because your writing style seems quite unique and the descriptions are really vivid and really strong. Um, and I'm just keen to know how, how that happened for you.
3: Just a long dream that took a long time to come true. <laughs> <you. laughs> I wish I could say yes. I just wrote the book and look. But what happened was when I was young, I really wanted to be a writer. I think I always knew what I wanted to be. And so when I left school, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. And then it didn't really happen straight away. I went through other industries and I wrote something in my 20s, which didn't really get anywhere. So it's a lesson in perseverance and and sort of not giving up. So I wrote two young adult books. And they took ages to write, like years to write. Nothing ever happened to them. But during the writing of those books, I really understood the craft. And I learned a lot of lessons just in how the publishing industry works, but also in terms of how to write and also how not to give up. So when I sat down to write that book, I was more confident about how a book is structured and the craft of it. And I knew about how the industry worked and then it was just a matter of writing this book and, and crossing my fingers and hoping that this time somebody would give it a chance. And they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so
2: would you say that English was quite a key subject for you growing
3: up? Did you write a lot Oh, of yeah. Like, what's your favourite subject at school? Is it English too? Yeah, I do quite like English, but I also like history. Yeah, I like history too. I think yeah. you can fall into kind of that being too sort of um, generalistic. When I was at school, the subjects that I was really better at were things like English and history and languages yeah yeah Yeah. where the subjects I wasn't so good at were things like science and maths yeah Yeah, I can
1: definitely
3: relate to that (laughs) I think we kind of tend to fall with it not that you can only follow one path of the other but I love I really liked English I like because I think if you like reading and you like the language I like the creative writing in English as well I really had some really great teachers at school that really pushed me to kind of keep improving so I think if you can get into it and don't see it as a chore like reading the books sometimes the books that you read at school can be a bit like ugh. but ugh, if you can kind of read for pleasure then I think it's incredibly important
2: yeah so after you finished writing the last there do you think it was hard for you to sort of let the characters
3: go and accept that that sort of writing journey was over I'll never let them go. (laughs) You'd see our house, it's kind of got polar bears everywhere. Yeah, it was really hard because it was such an emotional journey and it it would always be a really seminal book for me because it was the book that got me an agent. It was the book that got me a publishing deal. It's the book that's really broken out. In some respects, I think you you can never let that go. So when I sat down to write my next book, which is called The Lost Whale, Mm-hmm. which comes out March. it was Brilliant. a bit harder to get into because in my head I was like oh and you're promote and even when you're writing your next book you're promoting the first book so yeah. it's a bit of a weird sort of situation so I, I think ultimately I had to sort of quietly put them in the corner whilst they got on with the next book but I would love to revisit their story one day so yeah So did you say your next
2: book was The
3: Last Whale? Yeah, the next book's got a really similar title. It's called The Lost Whale. And that comes out March the 31st. And it's Mm -hmm. got this really beautiful blue cover with this. It's the same illustrator. It's a beautiful blue cover. I haven't got it here, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And it's got um, a whale which um, is kind of coming up. And it's set off the coast of California in America. And it's about a boy that goes there and he joins his whale watching Expedition and he finds this whale and then the whale goes missing so he has to go on this hunt to find this missing whale but it also links in like I said before the healing power of nature and has an angle of mental health as well so linking in how important nature is to one's you know one's well-being okay so are there any connections between the last bear and the lost whale I would suppose that the connections would be the writing style. It's got a lot of emotion and heart and it does fuse this adventure with some ecological awareness. So in this book, I talk about the effect that humans are having on the ocean, not just the plastic pollution, but the warming temperatures, the overfishing, uh, the amount of nets and fishing debris that's in the water and the harmful effect that has on marine life. Those kind of things, yeah.
2: Oh, okay so what would you say is next? Like I know you're writing, you're, you've got this next book that's coming out but is there something else you want to achieve? Do you want to aim for a different sort of audience to write
3: for? In terms of publishing speak they like you to <laughs> build on your brand. <laughs> yeah, they like that, they like to build your brand. So I can't imagine in the immediate foreseeable moving away from writing Animal Adventures which also fuse this ecological awareness but in terms of a broader scope I'd really like to do some sort of charity work for the environment I'd like to visit the arctic I'd like to get involved in beach cleans and I'd really like to be kind of hands-on and so people read the book and they have an experience but I'd like them to read the book and if we can take action afterwards that's where I'm wanting to go. I want to sort of be an advocate for creating a more sustainable future and inspiring people like you and younger to, yeah, to to help save our planet. Yeah. Um, Why do you
2: think reading and storytelling is so important
3: for young people? That's a really good question. I think there's so many different ways to answer that. And each author would give you a different answer, which is quite fascinating in itself. Yeah. So firstly, I think it goes back to the library question. That gives access to all books, to all families. And the whole point about reading is that, A, it can take you to different parts of the world you might not be able to go to. I think also it creates empathy. So this awareness of maybe different cultures or different parts of the world, or different parts of the country, which may not be as kind of privileged as you are. So it creates this understanding and empathy It can also create empathy and understanding for parts of the planet which need our help. But mostly it's just something, hopefully something quite fun to do and helps imagination and helps vocabulary, but actually just gives you a sense of enjoyment and a sense of you time that you can have with just you and a book.
1: Ava was asking some brilliant questions there and it was so interesting to hear from Hannah about how she found writing about climate change unavoidable because of the real life impact to Bear Island.
0: Yeah, and really nice to to sort of hear about how Hannah wanted to sort of weave in a a really positive environmental message there too. And now it's time for us to, to hear from Liz, our children's book specialist, who has some brilliant recommendations for us. Hi Liz, welcome to the podcast.
4: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: So you're an area manager at Hampshire Libraries. Um, would you like to tell us a bit about your role um, and sort of what libraries you look after and the sort of activities that we can find there?
4: Okay, so I'm uh, area manager for the east part of Hampshire. So that's all of the libraries in the uh Havent Borough area and all of the libraries in the East Hants. District area, so there are nine libraries altogether. So from the the north bit of, of my area, so Liphook, Borden, and Alton, and then Petersfield, so they're in like a group together, and then we come down to Waterlooville, Havent Lee Park, Hailin Island, and Emsworth libraries. So they're in another group. So I've got nine altogether.
0: That sounds really busy.
4: <laughs> yeah. It can be really busy, and, and you can imagine they're they're in really different communities, really different areas. So, you know, Borden isn't anything like Emsworth, and Lee Park isn't anything like Petersfield. So lots of different things happening, lots of different sizes of libraries. So Waterlooville is a big multi-floored library right in the centre of Waterlooville. Emsworth is a small community library in a in a community centre. So really different in terms of busyness and numbers of staff. But our staff work across various libraries in in each area. And for that, you know, so we put on all the normal um, library type things you would associate um, with with libraries. So books and information and computers. And then we've got a range of activities uh, for children particularly. So rhyme time, baby play sessions, story times, holiday activities, and then we have lots of groups that meet in libraries as well. So, knit and natter reading groups, poetry groups, Scrabble Club, as well as other people who use our spaces to kind of provide help for, say, people with dementia or
1: carers.
4: So, yeah, lots of different things going on. So, quite a lot to keep tab
1: on. Yeah, it's never a dull moment, I guess.
4: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and obviously so many different activities there's really something for everyone but for our listeners the time of recording this will probably go out during the um, winter reading challenge which is probably quite a good way to introduce the topic of this um, conversation really because we'll be talking about children's books but do you want to give us a little bit of information about what the reading challenge is all about and how people can get involved with the other challenges that happen at the libraries?
4: Yes so the Winter Reading Challenge I always think is a bit like the sort of little brother of the Summer Reading Challenge um, which lots of families will be familiar with. So the the Winter Reading Challenge we run it after Christmas so it's kind of when all the excitement of Christmas is, is done and Um, You know, everybody's getting back into their routines and families are looking for things to do. So it's more of an online offer. So children join online and then they track their reading online. But they come into the library and they get uh, a card and stickers and a certificate when they've read their books. So for the Winter Reading Challenge, it's four books to read. And it's not just reading them, it's sharing them as well. So, you know, it's it's open to, to young younger children as well. Then we run it for a shorter period of time, but they can read anything or listen to stories. So either downloading them or borrowing audio books and things as well as stories, but it can be non-fiction as well. So information books, so, you know, favorite dinosaurs or whatever. It's just a, a fun thing to do in the winter, really. And then, you know, in the summer, we move to the Summer Reading Challenge, which is a bigger, a bigger... Um, scheme which runs over the school holidays and six books for that
1: yeah it's a lot of fun so I mean yeah as, as I was saying we're going to be talking about um, some book recommendations for children so each of us has brought along a children's book that we love and just wanted to know if you'd like to kick us off by telling us a bit about the book that you've chosen and why
4: okay so I have brought with me and I have to hold it I always have to hold a book when I'm talking about it so I've brought <laughs> Beware of Storybook Wolves by Lauren Child. So it's, it's a picture book, but it's, we have a range of picture books, which we call picture books for older readers because they're, they're not for very young children. So they're, they're aimed more at kind of children going into reception and um, key stage one. So lots of people will be familiar with Lauren Child. Uh, through Charlie and Lola and, and the television series but this one is is another it's just another story by her and I the thing I really like about it is I really like her illustrations I think they're really quirky the language that she uses is is really funny and it's based basically on a fairy story and I I like fairy stories you know that kind of storytelling tradition you know I think it's it's just a, a really great place for people to start but I like the ones that have a bit of a twist on them and hence the kind of being aimed at older children because this story has wolves in it so you know wolves feature a lot in, in in traditional tales but it also and it also has the fairy godmother and it has the wicked witch and it has you know turning characters into things Cinderella appears in it. So it's kind of one of those books there's lots to talk about and and for children who are just a little bit older, so I would share this with kind of five and six year olds but it's it's just got more humor in it, so it's a bit more sophisticated you know so rather than the younger age. but it's just really fun and it's it's got a little bit of you know you know how how uh, films talk about having mild threat in them. You know, as a as a sort of a a kind of a, a warning. Well, it it's kind of got a bit of that, but it's a nice rounded story. It finishes really well at the end, and it's just got loads of humour in it.
0: That sounds great. And you were saying it's sort of using the the kind of that fantasy themes. What does it sort of change about the what's what's new in the fantasy themes in this one?
4: So it, it starts off with you know a very typical scenario: reading a story at bedtime. So mum reading story in bedtime, but the little boy is called Herb in it. And he always likes the books being taken out because he has that active imagination. But one night she forgets and then he can hear something. And the wolves have, have come out of the book and are in his room and are obviously threatening to eat him because that's what wolves do. So he has to think on his feet about how to distract them. And it, it, it's, it, then he, he manages to shake the book and get other things out of the book. So he manages to distract them with jelly. And he manages to get the fairy godmother out. And the fairy godmother is a very funny character. You know, and she accidentally puts the little wolf into a ball gown, which the little wolf really likes, and decides to go to the ball instead of Cinderella. But oh, wow. obviously poor Cinderella is then left at home doing the washing up. So... <laughs> It's kind of, you know, it's just that it's, it's got all the familiar characters, but it's just in, told in a different way. And I just really like that because as children get older, they will then recognise those characters from other versions of, of films or books that they've seen. And it, to me, it just kind of links it all together and develops that wider understanding, really, and, and enjoyment of, of that kind of tradition.
0: It sounds really lovely. That sounds really joyful, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> it was, I have to say, when I was choosing that, it was between that and a book by Anthony Brown, famous for Gorilla and Willie the Wimp, which, which are kind of classicish children's books. And he wrote one called Into the Forest, and that, again, is about a boy, you know, a normal boy, who takes a cake to grandma. But along the way, his mother says, don't take the shortcut, go the long way around and then he encounters various fairy tale characters along the way but you know again it's another and I thought oh yeah I obviously this is obviously a theme in my in my reading enjoyment I like this this alternative fairy story thing
0: yeah so never go off the path never go off the path (laughs) isn't it (laughs) 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 exactly one thing you don't do in in children's books it's you don't go off the path
4: (laughs) you don't go off the path and you don't build your house out of sticks
0: either.
1: Mm.
4: (laughs) So, and I just think, I just think sharing that, that kind of sharing those stories, it's just a a lovely age to share those stories with because children have got a little bit more, a little bit more reading stamina, a little bit longer concentration, and you can start to share these great, great picture books, but with older children and, you know, everybody, there's something in it for the parents reading it because they will get more of the humour out of it. And you know, yeah, it's just, just, uh, and it's just a really joyful book, I think.
0: That sounds great, yeah. And they, uh, I guess, it, it's sort of a good age to start reading those kind of books as well because you need to sort of learn the format of the yeah. Red Rider Code and that kind of thing before you can start like playing with the format. It's a really like nice way exactly. of sort of introducing to kids that you know the stories don't always have to go the way that that you would expect.
4: I, I, exactly, yeah. And I think. It's, it's also just developing children's kind of visual literacy as well, because mm. the, the illustrations in this are quite sophisticated. Um, there's quite a lot in them. The way that Lauren Child uses illustration when she, when she started producing books was really unusual because she used a, a computer to, to do them. She, she has that collage uh, way of working, which was really different uh, when they first came out, and it's just something else to look at. in In a, it, it's important for children to understand. I think that books aren't just blocks of text and quite dull and boring, because some children will find that really hard. So when you've got a story which is aimed at older children, it's more sophisticated and it's still got pictures. You know, there's just more, more in it, and I think it. I think you know. Developing that visual literacy and the what we would call normal sort of reading literacy, you know, it's really important. They go together. And and I think also for children who are struggling to actually read, having a grown up, a more grown up picture book is really important because it's more accessible as well. Because you can read what's happening in the pictures, even if you're struggling to read the words. So you can still share in a story, you can still tell a story to someone, even if you're struggling with the text.
1: Mm -hmm. it's um yeah it's what one of those it does help you learn doesn't it having having the combination of both which is obviously what what we want and I think it's the kind of thing that really encourages that love of reading as well doesn't it when you when you really get stuck in and you can use your imagination but you have a bit of a helping hand with the with some really good illustrations or, or imagery so when yeah when did you first pick that up and and read it what what first introduced you to it?
4: Well, I, I was lucky enough to meet Lauren Child a long, quite a long time ago. She came to Hampshire just after, really, she'd, she'd published Charlie and Lola. And she came and did some, did some visits to libraries and visits to schools. And I, I spent a bit of time going around with her. And so, you know, when you meet somebody, I, I mean, I, I really think that if children have the opportunity to meet an author or illustrator, it, it can really be quite an inspiring experience and you know, make them want to write their own stories and draw their own pictures. Um, So we went into a number of schools um, with her. And I think that's, you know, I just really liked that style of illustration. Um, I just thought it was really different. And, you know, obviously she's written lots and lots of of books now and, and done lots of illustrations. But, yeah, so that's kind of why I was just drawn to this one when I was thinking about what to talk about today. You know, we have quite a lot of opportunities in schools in Hampshire because the School Library Service has that Meet the Author programme. And, you know, it's it's just such a, a great thing to get involved with, because I think, as I say, children get such a lot out of it. It's sort of linking the actual book with the person who thought of it. And, mm. you know, for them having that opportunity to talk to someone and ask all those questions you know about ideas and you know how does a book get printed and all of those sort of things I I just think it's um real inspiring for children
1: yeah I imagine you get some rogue questions in there as well
4: (laughs) how much money do you earn (laughs) how old are you
1: (laughs) that's very good kids are are the best aren't they for those kinds of questions yeah
4: and our authors and illustrators are usually very gracious (laughs) (laughs)
0: That must definitely be a skill that you learn, I imagine, is it from being being asked lots of questions by children? Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yes, I mean, that's a great choice. I think I I can imagine that it's a very popular one with our little uh, keen readers and parents as well. It sounds like a very good one for those doing the bedtime story.
4: Yeah, and there's lots of we have a separate, as I, said, I think I said at the beginning, we have a separate section in libraries called Picture Books for Older Readers. They're mm. shelved separately, they're marked differently. And they're just, I, I just think it's a resource that sometimes gets missed because when children are in school, there's a lot of focus on on them actually learning the mechanics of reading. And so, this, you know, we also have a section of, of young readers and beginning to read. And I think that this can get lost really because there's a bit of pressure. For children, you know, yes, picture books when they're under five or under four, I suppose. And then they go into the sort of banded reading, learning that mechanics bit. And then they jump to chapter books. Well, if you're struggling a bit in in amongst that, or it can become a bit pressured of of having to learn that bit. And I think, you know, having a, a picture book for older readers is it's just a bit more fun and you still get such a lot out of it you know that's still going to help children to learn to read it's it's still going to give them that experience of learning about other feelings and other events and but it's it's you know it's just in a slightly more fun way and you know I'm a real champion of them and certainly for sharing with a group a picture book for older readers is a great thing to to share I think
0: yeah definitely I, I've with the 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 book that i've brought along to recommend is is i think definitely falls into the same category of, of picture <laughs> books for older readers i've brought the lorax ah. by dr <laughs> seuss which has always been my favorite book ever since i was really quite young and i think i love it because it's just it's got the chunks of text but they're not they're they're really interspersed with the really amazing bright pictures they're so creative they're sort of these sort of magical creatures that we don't recognize because sort of do as well. And like they, they they're sort of birds, but they're not really birds. So they're sort of people, but they're not really people. And I think I think the language as well, it's so strange and it's so funny. It it's simple and it's really easy to read and sort of follow. But it it just makes it a bit nicer. Like you don't have to what you're not worrying about like sentences or learning a thing or, you know, it's about enjoying the way that it sounds and it being strange but um, I think I, I also really loved the law I, I when I was younger I I loved animals and nature and that kind of thing and and I think reading it as an adult it's clearly about sort of pollution and corporations and, and that kind of thing like selling and that, and that kind of thing it's, it's got quite a strong message of you know look after your environment to it. I, I think as a younger reader I didn't I didn't quite click that but I did really like the message of you know look after the animals and that kind of that really clicked with me but um there's also one of these books that that does that but it has a really hopeful tone at the end it, it doesn't just leave it as you know oh god what are we doing it's it ends with the the little boy being given the seed and it's like oh if you just plant this it could all come back i just thought that was really really nice and it's sort of like you were saying liz it's it's fits within this sort of scope of of people who might might struggle reading really heavy textual books but if it's spread out with these pictures or even i think if it's read to you it's a really nice sort of sing-songy book to hear as well yeah Yeah, and and that's my one that i loved yeah
4: i think that kind of rhythm to a text is really important because that's again it's that sort of helping children engage with it and build confidence, really, for children learning to read. And I think that's also, it shows the real skill to that story of having that quite heavy message, but presented in a really fun way and a really accessible way.
0: Yeah. I think for, I think for me as well, it, I sort of obviously grew up and ended up really enjoying like poetry and that kind of thing. And, and really, I think Dr. Seuss, yeah, I loved Dr. Seuss when I was little. I think Dr. Seuss was probably the start of my love for poetry because it's just the 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 sound of a word and how things don't don't have to make complete sense for it to be an enjoyable thing to read and yeah i think just sort of adding that i don't know that that element of sort of freedom to a book is something that yeah i just i just love about dr seuss
1: <laughs> mm. it's like pure imagination isn't it yeah. which is like unconcentrated imagination It reminds me of like spike milligan um stuff as well which yeah. is obviously similar kind of vein and I think that thing about like rhyme and repetition being so integral to the the kind of learning curve of of picking up reading or p- picking up the, this kind of thing it's kind of why we do rhyme time in our libraries as well we yeah that absolutely. kind of rhyming and, yeah. and you know you come back week on week you do the same songs mm-hmm. and it's yeah it's a, a fantastic way to really pick up that kind of early years literacy um, yeah, and
4: it's so important for children's language as well and developing language skills. And, you know, we're, we're looking at the moment of a, a sort of a, a concept of over and over books, which is quite similar, aimed at early years, but that embedding that rereading stories, which sometimes as a parent can be a little bit tiresome, but it's really good for children to reread them and because they can then predict. What's going to happen? Because they they know the story, they know the rhyme. And that's so important for them actually starting to learn to read. Because if they've already got that, they already understand about a book and how it progresses and the words and the pictures, even if they can't read the words properly, they know what's coming. It, it builds that confidence again. Because if, if you haven't got, if children haven't got the desire or the confidence to, to sort of want to read, it, it just makes it so much harder. And I think one of the things that we want to sort of get across to parents is that it is OK to keep rereading books to children, that it, it is actually really quite helpful to them, because I think lots of us will have seen children who appear to be reading a story and they know when to turn the page, but they're not actually reading it. It's because it's been read to them a lot and they remember it. And so if you try and read it to them and skip a few pages, they will say, no, 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 you've, you've missed a bit. Go back and do it again, you know. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just really interesting how children kind of learn that. Because mm. I just think if you, if, you, if you break it down, those marks on a page that are words, how on earth do you learn that? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's a really hard thing. And that's why when you see an adult who is learning to read, it is so difficult Mm. you know I think it's just fascinating really um how anybody ever learns to read quite honestly
1: (laughs) (laughs) while you were speaking I was trying to um sort of think about there are probably loads and loads of books like that that were repeated so much when I was a child that I would still be able to sort of at least chime in with a little bit I, I it made me think of um there's the one that's like, in a dark, dark wood, there was a dark, dark house, and in a dark, dark house, there was a dark, dark cupboard, and it blah, blah, blah. And then, I, I won't spoil it for you, but i <laughs> <laughs> got, got a thrilling ending. But, um, but, you know, I probably haven't heard that since I was about six or something.
4: It's but it's like, in, it's like individual words as well mm-hmm. that children learn. And I can remember being read Beatrix Potter stories and The Tale of the Flopsy Bunnies, And there's a line in that that talks about the effects of eating too much lettuce is soporific, which is not a word that you would use every day, but it's a word that I know what the meaning is because, because it was in that story. And there's a lovely picture of all the bunnies fast asleep. (laughs) But I remember (laughs)
1: that. That visual connection again, isn't it? You kind of, in your mind's eye, you kind of bring, brings you back to that moment. So interesting.
0: Patty, I think you, you've got, a. have you bought a book to recommend as well?
1: I have. I don't have it physically around me. I did go looking for it, but I didn't, I couldn't find it. I have gone for probably a book that's slightly outside of children's and maybe a little bit more in YA. But I feel like I read it while I was still at primary school, so I think it counts. But just for listeners who might want to recommend this, to their uh, children just be aware that there's probably a bit of a content warning but my very memorable book one of my favorite books of all time that I would still go and read now is Noughts and Crosses by Mallory Blackman and yeah it's um yeah for, for the listener Liz just gave a massive thumbs up which I think is the best seal of approval that a book can get really that um, uh yeah to give a bit of bit of an introduction if you haven't come across this book or, or the, there's been a TV show quite recently on the BBC that adapted it. Um, it's a world where racial inequality is kind of the inverse to how it is in our current world. So the black people in this society are called crosses and the white people are called noughts. And that kind of imbalance of power is flipped on its head. So the black people are the ruling class and the noughts uh, or the white people are, yeah, are sort of like second class citizens more likely to be in poverty um, go to different schools and kind of all, all of the things associated with with that treatment in society and the reason that I've chosen this book is because throughout the story it follows two characters Callum and Sephi as they navigate this kind of their experiences in in these positions in society while maintaining their friendship um, and it really really shed it was probably my first ever exposure to racial inequality in a in a text I was so blown away by it as um you know as a white child reading I was uh, you know I remember very distinctly thinking about things like um in the story they talk about someone cuts their finger and they have a plaster but the plaster is the wrong color for their skin and that was really eye-opening for me as a child to think hold on in in my universe in my world in my reality there's th- that imbalance of power is there but it's the other way around and it was a really really clear um an eye-opening moment I think as a child to read that kind of thing and and yeah I mean Mallory Blackman is an amazing writer she's written a uh, Pig Heart Boy she's written loads of things that are just well worth reading but I think Knots and Crosses has a really really good plot to begin with but I think because it just has that really really strong message and I think it's made such an impact to be honest on that kind of like young young adult children's literary landscape it's been yeah it's just so good it's always going to have a place in my heart
4: yeah I definitely I I would yeah I I definitely agree I I've I've got my own copy of that book uh, which is signed by Mallory Blackman Um, (laughs) and um, and I think you're right and I think you know what, what you said there about it, uh, sort of opening your eyes to those kind of inequalities. And and that's what books can do for all of us, but particularly for children and young people, because you get to experience things that you wouldn't normally experience. And that helps you understand them. Then it helps you understand other people. And that kind of building that empathy is just so important because it, it just helps children in right across all sort parts of your life from you know sharing things to understanding why somebody is behaving in a certain way why somebody might be angry it, it it gives children an opportunity to to kind of find their voice as well you're absolutely absolutely right it's just you know really a great a great book just yes
0: and is there mm-hmm. was before we before we go were there any other books that you'd sort of like to give a special mention to Liz
4: Oh, gosh, putting me on the spot, really. Um, <laughs> there's there's such a lot of great, great books out there. And I think there's the ones that have really high promotion. So a lot of celebrities are writing stories. And, and that's, you know, that's great, because that, that gives a way in uh, for children and highlights new titles. But, you know, there are some just great of these more kind of modern classics out there. Anything by Michael Pergo really is always worth a read because you always know it's going to be a great story. Um, Jacqueline Wilson tackling some really difficult issues, but actually in a really accessible way. So, yeah. yeah, there's lots out there, but sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming. I think you go into a library and you see all these books, and you think, <laughs> look at the displays. We always yeah. have good displays.
1: That's, true. that's the only time when it's okay to pick a book by its cover yeah i would do it <laughs> yeah oh yeah absolutely absolutely no i think some really really uh strong recommendations there so thank you liz
0: yeah thank you for joining us liz and we look forward to seeing you in uh some of the libraries in the east of the county soon
1: thank you very much it's been
4: great i like nothing better than to spend a, a while talking about books
1: It was so great to catch up with Liz. She is a delight and an asset to our library service. It was so great to hear about her passion for teaching early years literacy and really bringing those kind of skills and messages into the books that uh, we deliver to children via our library service. So yeah, really great, really great conversation actually.
0: Yeah, and, and as well, great to hear about the kind of idea of having picture books for older children. I'd never really sort of considered that actually you really need that step after picture books that kind of carry on developing your literacy, but are still sort of friendly books that kids want to read. Um,
1: Yeah, I almost wish that picture books were still a thing for adults. I think that that there's almost like any age that would benefit from some great illustrations and stuff. I think, you know, we're quite used to visual entertainment at the moment with TV and stuff. It'd be great to maybe have a bit Bit of that brought back into our reading spaces as well, so maybe there's a maybe there's a niche market out there for that.
0: I think we're going to need to start championing that for sure. <laughs> and of course, it's important that we mention our online reading group's book of the month, which is Diary of a Somebody by Brian Bilston. Our listeners might know him from our uh, Twitter fame. He's a bit of a comic poet and uh, sort of became a bit famous on Twitter um, with some of his quite humorous um, poems about sort of everyday life and and they sort of like. Jokey nihilism, uh, this kind of—I don't know—laughing f- f- at yourself a bit. It's yeah, really sure. nice. Some um, some really nice poems, and uh, I think he we- weaves it throughout the book as well. And the the diary of somebody is available on BorrowBox as an ebook or audiobook anytime throughout February.
1: Well, that's about all we have time for today. But a massive thank you to BorrowBox for supporting this podcast, and thank you for listening. I'm Hattie Dulac,
0: and I'm Isaac Favashi.